honor their sacrifice. Shalom! Thank you for joining us for the Sermon of Sunday, October 31st, 2021 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. Upon the celebration of All Saints Day, we consider why it is essential for us to honor and keep before us the millions of followers of Jesus who have given their lives in rejecting idolatry and remain loyal witnesses of Jesus the Messiah. Surely we should live in such a way that honors their sacrifice. Before Rev. David Pelegi gives the sermon, let us listen to the lectionary readings. A reading from the Revelation to John from the Lord God, starting in chapter 7 and all of the verses. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea, Do not harm the land, or the sea, or the trees, until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, from all the tribes in Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in the white robes, Who are they, and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. 
for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading from Psalm 145, beginning with verse 3. Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness the joyfully singing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel portion is from the gospel according to Luke. Chapter 6, beginning at verse 20. Please stand. Our King teaches. The good news, according to Luke. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we ask that you will have mercy upon your people. We ask that um, 
you would stir us so that we do not become complacent or callous or cynical, Lord, in the light of things that um, are happening around us. We pray that on this feast day, we can be encouraged, inspired, strengthened, yes, with the knowledge that we can be faithful, just as so many, so many millions who have gone before us have been faithful and loyal to your son Jesus in the most difficult of circumstances. We do ask for your mercy and pray that, Lord, we will uh, be worthy to glorify you in all that we do. Amen. Well, it is always, um, it's kind of, a, it's an honor <clears throat> to um, speak on All Saints Day. It is uh, <clears throat> certainly awful, always a challenge to do so because we are walking uh, a little bit on a tightrope. And as we walk down the middle, it's easy to be misunderstand, to be misunderstood, sorry, uh, why we commemorate or celebrate this feast. On one hand, yes, we are not remembering people, folks in purgatory, or praying for folks to somehow be brought out of purgatory. We're not praying uh, to the dead, yes, asking them to do something for us because they're, uh, they're so close to God. In fact, we're praying with the dead. This maybe I'll explain in a moment. And of course, as throughout Christian history, there was a lot of abuse with relics and, I don't know, almost uh, a uh, cult of the saints. And Martin Luther rightly rejected this and set the, the direction for the Protestant, uh, the Protestant Reformation. Surely the church needed reforming, and uh, he was one of the main, he was one of the main reformers. It's not an accident, by the way, that he launched his protest publicly on October the 31st, which is today, which is known as Reformation Sunday. It was on the eve of All Saints Day. And one of the things he protested uh, was the... Uh, the, the use of relics, uh, the cult of the saints, not to mention indulgences and other uh, issues that he had with the medieval uh, Roman Catholic Church. So we have to be careful. We don't want to return to some past superstition or some spirituality that may not be biblical. On the other hand, we cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater. And saints, yes, and the lives that they lived, and that the way they can inspire us and challenge us are indeed important. Now, we have a tendency of, as Protestants sometimes to think of a few saints in the, uh, 
you know, the first few centuries and then somehow think that God, you know, disappeared from the scene and only started to work again, at, you know, when the Reformation came about. But literally there have been millions of people who have gone before us and have lived faithful lives, lives of sanctity and holiness, even though they may not have been perfect. And again, we need to honor them. And it's not only that we're honoring them or remembering them. I think it's for our own spiritual health that we remember them and actually take note of their lives, or at least the lives of some of them. Now, of course, a challenge, another one of the challenges might be, and the you might say the typical comeback of many uh, in our community would be, well, we're all saints. Why should anyone be special? And that is certainly true. If we're found in Christ, we're saints. There's no question about it. And if we're far from perfect in our walk with the Lord and our commitment, we're still saints. Is it not true that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, that Paul refers to the most dysfunctional church, or one of the most dysfunctional churches, he refers to the members as saints. So to be united with Christ is to be a saint. Very true. But let's not forget that holiness always has two parts, as I think we mentioned a few days ago at the ordination. Yes, holiness is not only something that's intrinsic to God, yes, and those things connected with God are holy, which is holy people and holy time and a holy place, and according to even to the Hebrew Bible, holy objects, the objects used in the worship of the temple. But also God, in his partnership with his people, requires us to sanctify ourselves. Yes, so holiness has two parts. It's God, God does, and it's what we do. And the New Testament, being a very Jewish book, yes, illustrates this because Paul, yes, when he writes to the Corinthians, the same bunch of people that he called holy in chapter 1, Yes, chapter 6 of the uh, First Corinthians. And then in Second Corinthians, chapter 6 and chapter 7, Paul says, yes, come out from among them. Purify yourselves. Sanctify yourself. So, my dear friends, there is a universal call to holiness. And on one hand, it's true. We're all saints. But on the other hand, yes, some have taken it more seriously than others. So whether it's through prayer or fasting or discipline or being intentional about discipleship, there are some among us yes, who take the call to holiness or have answered the call to holiness in ways that others have not. And that is also holiness. That is also a form of sainthood. 
So on one hand, there is no difference, and on the other hand, there is. And why is it that we sometimes remember, you know, St. Billy Graham, or we remember St. John Wesley, or St. Maximilian Colby? We remember them, and we sometimes single them out. Yes, because they help us, yes, understand the potential that we have to serve God. And they further help us to understand what those risks might be and what the cost might be. They're all saints. It becomes a little bit of a blob. And so we need the saints. And I think the place that uh, we can see, we can see that best, I hope we can see that best, the challenges that they present to our lives, and you might say the benefits, is from our passage in, first, in uh, Revelation chapter 7. You know, when you have these feast days, I, I can tell you a secret, you know, that preachers have to grapple with. And um, I'm mentioning this especially for Roger because he likes, to, he likes to get the inside scoop, you know, on the technicalities of preaching. The temptation is, or the challenge is, do you preach the feast day or do you preach the text? And so I'm cheating, and we're doing a little bit of both. Our text, our main text, did come from, from Revelation chapter 7. And it's in Revelation chapter 7 that I'd like to make just a few points and then ask, why is this important for us? Yes. And I'd like to begin, not at the first verse, but I'd like to begin uh, with the number 144,000. I hope you will all forgive me, those of you who take this literally. I respect that point of view, but I'm not sure it's literal, the number at least. What's important is that God is at work, yes, amongst Jews and Gentiles. And here we have 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. And these 12,000 are redeemed, and they're standing around the throne. And it's because these 12,000 have been redeemed and stand around the throne that all the nations of the world, every tribe, every tongue, Yes, can do the same. Commentators very frequently say, ah, the 12 tribes of Israel mentioned here and uh, every tribe and tongue and nation, they're the same bunch of people. I don't think so. Actually, what I think what we see here is this mysterious mutuality, this mysterious interdependence between Israel and the nations. It starts in Genesis and continues all the way to Revelation. Yes. And we, as Gentiles, would not be sitting here, yes, except that God called Abraham to serve the nations. And so we have 12,000 from the 12 tribes. And then it goes on to say, And I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Yes, I think it's uh, worth stopping there for just a moment and just reminding ourselves from every tribe, 
nation, people, and language, a multitude that no one could count. So here we have the saints. They're standing around God's throne in God's temple, worshiping God. They represent the nations. Yes, God from the beginning, you know, has, uh, has, has went after the nations, right, to bring them back to himself. And we could sing all kinds of hymns about this, but maybe this helps us in the world in which we live. Because we live in a world in which, yes, uh, truth is very relative. And we live in a world in which everyone will say, I have my truth and you have your truth. And uh, if your truth is good for you, okay. But my truth is good for me. And it's hard to witness in such an atmosphere. It's hard to proclaim the gospel because after all, everybody has a truth. But I think the, the way the passage helps us is very basic. You see, it's not my truth. The gospel story isn't my truth. The gospel story isn't about your truth and your experience. It's about the experience of millions of people. And these millions of, literally millions of people for 2,000 years have encountered the risen Jesus. And it's on that, it's on, it's on those testimonies. It's on those lives that uh, were transformed and are still and being transformed today. And it's on the lives of those who've been willing, yes, to give up their lives because they are so certain, yes, of the truth of the gospel. This is the rock, you might say, on which we proclaim the gospel. This is the rock, you might say, or, the, or what we can call the certainty of our testimony. It's not simply about my experience, but it's about the experience, again, of millions of people. And if we ever have our doubts, you know, is this really real? Yes. Think of all those that have come before us, of all those who have encountered the living God, all of those who've heard the voice of Jesus that said, come and follow me. It's not an individual private experience. And we need to make sure that we move away from such a thing. And here we go, with, continue with the saints. What do we learn about the saints that are standing in this temple? They're wearing white robes. And of course, white is for holiness or purity. Because, of course, to be in God's temple or to be in any temple in the ancient world, one had to be pure. And they're holding palm branches. Yes, they're holding palm branches as a, as a symbol of victory. And they're rejoicing in worship. And why do they rejoice? They rejoice because the former things have passed away. Yes, they rejoice because death, they have escaped the second death. They have escaped judgment and condemnation at the, at the last judgment. And they have been protected and sealed forever. And of course, this causes, this indeed causes one to rejoice. Yes, the only response, yes, to what God has done for us.
is ultimate response is worship. And so indeed, indeed they worship. Yes, they worship in perhaps a liturgical way. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The angels rejoice, the elders rejoice. Um, and then one of the elders says to me, these in the white robes, who are they and where do they come from? I answered, sir, you know, they have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so these are saints that have come out of tribulation. In the previous chapter, in chapter 6 of Revelation, we read that, um, that under the altar, yes, the souls of those who had been slain because of, of the word of God and the testimony they maintain, they cried out in a loud voice, Lord, holy and true, yes, how long will it be until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed uh, as they had been was complete. Now, of course, if you think that somehow these people who were martyred have some kind of bloodlust or want some kind of revenge, it's nothing of the sort. Yes, a great horrible injustice was done to them. And they want to know when, yes, there will be uh, a recompense for, what, for what's happened to them. And here I think we see not just ordinary saints and saintly saints, but perhaps we see another category and that category is that we have saints and we have martyrs. And whether it's Revelation chapter 6 or Revelation chapter 7, what's being highlighted here, yes, what's being uh, spotlighted, you might say, are those who have given their lives for, yes, you might say, because of their testimony for the Lamb. And we tend to think, okay, martyrs. Yeah, they had some of those in the first century. And yeah, we have a few of those today. But maybe in the future, especially if you, you know, believe that uh, we may be coming to the last days and the last days are going to uh, be terrible, Maybe we will return to such a time. Well, there will be martyrs again. People will die for their faith. And I don't know what it is about uh, uh, folks in the West. Perhaps we've lived uh, too long in prosperity or security. Yes, we've been affluent for too long. We've had it too easy. But my dear friends, the last century the 20th century, and continuing into the 21st century, the church has become, once again, a church of martyrs. And I think we forget, or somehow maybe we're living in a bubble, that millions of people have given their lives. Millions of people, literally, have been killed. 
They have been martyred, yes, by one uh, regime or empire or ideology or another. Now, you might say, wait a minute. When did they give their lives for Christ? What if I talked about the Ukrainian famine or the great terror of the Soviet Union when Stalin killed 700, 800,000 people or the camps, yeah, the labor camps, which millions of people found themselves incarcerated. Was it political? Was it somehow, maybe had nothing to do with Jesus? You see, what in the book of Revelation, what brings about the, the death of the saints is that they refuse to bow to idolatry. Yes, idolatry is the enemy of holiness. And so, for example, if you have a look in... Um, You have a look in uh, chapter 13, yeah. It says in chapter 13 of Revelation, yes, the, um, the beast comes, and um, this beast comes and he deceives. He has power to deceive the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered an image to be set up in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. This beast, of course, is, is an imitator of Christ. He was given power to give breath to the image of the beast so that it could speak and cause all those who refused to worship the image to be killed. He forced everyone, small, great, rich, and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number uh, of his name. Now, lots of people are still waiting for that to happen, but it's happened at different times throughout history where a regime or an ideology comes, yes, and forces people to bow, forces people to uh, submit to some kind of idolatry or another, as it happened in the Soviet Union, as it happened in China or Nazi Germany, or it happens. Uh, in other places in the world, it may not be seen, it may not be so brutal. Yes, but the temptation is for the saints always to bow, always to submit, always to make things easy for ourselves. Let's go along to get along. And those who refuse very often end up paying with their lives. That is martyrdom. That is martyrdom. And the thing about idolatry is that it's not only opposed to God, but it is sometimes so deceptive. And that's why those who end up paying with their lives, yes, there's a connection not only with, their te with the testimony that they have, but their refusal, yes, to be deceived or their refusal to engage in falsehood. So if you look in chapter 12, if we look in chapter 12, which we discussed a few weeks ago at the, um, at the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels, yes, 
Michael, the angel, the angel Michael throws the dragon, the demons down to earth. And that heavenly war now is, start, is taking place in a small confined place called planet earth. Yes, and the saints are now caught up in the midst of this war. And these saints overcome Satan. And how do they overcome him? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And it goes on to say that um, Satan being, uh, being a deceiver, yes, goes on to say that the, um, the saints themselves will obey God's command and hold to the testimony of Jesus, yes, are the ones who end up, the ones who end up being victorious. Chapter 14 of Revelation talks about those who were martyred, those who gave their lives. And those who gave their lives, they're called first fruits. Yes, because they offered their lives to God like one would bring a, a sacrifice to the temple. And they gave their lives um, as a gift. And it says that um, they were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. They are blameless. So holding to the testimony of Jesus means living holding to the life of Jesus, refusing to lie, refusing to be deceived, refusing to worship the idols of the age can bring unpopularity. Might mean you could lose your job, could bring harassment or slander. People might say bad things about you on Twitter and, inter and the internet could mean, in many cases, that one loses their life. And so there have been, over the centuries, many martyrs. In the 20th century, millions of people refused to bow down to the God of National Socialism or to the God of, of uh, Marxism. Yes, today millions of people refuse to bow down to the God of the sexual revolution. Yes, to whatever current trend and fashion uh, that we have here uh, here at this moment, and that refusal that refusal to bow down is costly. It's costly. The Revelation chapter seven goes on with some, some of the most beautiful language in the Bible. And that language goes on to say that these, yes, who pass through the great tribulation, yeah, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them, his sukkah. He will shelter them and protect them as because they are sealed. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. 
and he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Yes, it sums up those many of the promises made in Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah. No one quite expected them to be fulfilled or to find their consummation, yes, through the Lamb, yes, that Lamb who was slain. And for those who do, yes, refuse to ultimately compromise, we can see that um, indeed they will be well rewarded. I think I have to add that refusing to compromise and not loving our lives more than we love God, or not loving our lives more than we love holiness, doesn't mean that we kill in the name of God, or that uh, we have a license (coughs) to go out and wage war. That's an unfortunate distortion, a very unfortunate distortion. And why remember, yes, the martyrs, especially the martyrs, we can remember all the saints, yes. Why remember Maximilian Kolbe? Or how about the Ahmed Abdulweli? Ahmed Abdulweli was a Somali man who lived in Eastern Kenya, who was the father of the underground church movement in Somalia and in Kenya amongst Muslims. And in the year 2013, he was sitting in his car in the town of Garissa in Kenya when he was murdered by a relative. And he was murdered because he was an apostate. His dying wish or his his, his his, his heart's desire, you might say, ironically, was that he wanted to come to Israel to study business at the University of Haifa so that he could go back and help his community of Muslim background believers get on their feet economically. And in this country, and in northern Nigeria, and in Myanmar, Myanmar and many parts of the Middle East and India, uh, people are still paying with their lives. And we hear stories very often where we have the privilege of helping such people uh, who are in danger of being killed for their faith. So it is an ongoing reality. And I think what's important about all this is that it's, it's sobering. It needs to shake us out of our complacency. Somehow we just, in in our discipleship and walk with the Lord, it's just easy to go along, and God becomes a little bit of an ATM machine. Put the card in, God give me what I need. And not only can we be complacent, we can also be very critical of the church and even very cynical. And we can forget Yes, how costly it is to follow Jesus. And it's the blood of the martyrs, yes, that hopefully wakes us up and causes us to think again. 
and not to take anything that we have for granted. You know, the, we can be very critical of the church. Too critical. <clears throat> Too critical. As we speak, there are lots and lots of Christians yes, who are facing persecution and facing death, and most of them will not shrink back. That's something that we can appreciate and hopefully admire. I think the other thing is that we need models. We need people to imitate. We need, um, you might say, examples. Now, it's very easy to say, yep, my example is Jesus. That's a pretty good example. And thinking of Hebrews 12, yes, we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. But that came just after Hebrews 11, yes, in which Moses and Abraham and others were held up to us as examples of faith, yes, in the most difficult and trying circumstances, yes. Hebrews tells us that's who we should emulate. And Paul himself says four times in the epistles, twice in the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me. Yes, because sometimes it's maybe hard for us to focus on what the Lord himself does. So we focus on people, yes, who are following the Lord or who have followed the Lord. And these become our role models, and these become our heroes. We all need heroes, and we all need someone to imitate. That's human nature. And if we don't, we're not imitating those who are godly, or those who are saintly, or even the martyrs themselves. Well, we end up imitating the big, you know, big tech tycoons or pop stars, yes, or celebrities. And as you can see, that this is very quite common in the world. Those become models. And instead, we need to look to the martyrs, yes, and they need to be the ones uh, on which we model our lives. On my right and your left, we have, a, you might call it an icon, Aaron likes icons, so I'm not going to be, I'm going to compete with him uh, this evening. And the icon is from the Coptic Church of Egypt. And in the year 2015, in Libya, there were 20 Coptic Christian cops. Um, they were construction workers. They were captured by ISIS, and they were given the choice convert or die. And uh, they remained steadfast. They were taken down to the coast, the Mediterranean coast at the town of Sitre, and uh, they were beheaded for their witness for Christ. And this, as the story goes, I don't know if it's true, but there was a Muslim man. And that Muslim man from Ghana was so impressed that they were willing to give their life. Not that they were willing to kill for God, but they were willing to give their lives 
yes, as a sacrifice, as a gift for God, surely knowing, yes, that they would be compensated in the world to come, knowing that they would not face condemnation of a final judgment and a second death. So apparently this Muslim man runs and joins them. And uh, if you look, you can see one African, uh, or at least one, one Ghanaian, and 20 Egyptians in the icon. And I hope after the service, maybe, uh, or during communion, that uh, you would take a look. And it's those acts of sanctity, and it's those acts of self-giving, which ultimately become the most powerful and the most uh, unrefutable, you might say, witness of the gospel. Yes, of the, the life of Jesus. As we imitate it and give of ourselves, and perhaps in following Jesus and giving, giving to others, we may be called upon one day to do the same. If we're not, hallelujah. But we should not forget these people. And again, we should study their lives and take inspiration from them. Teach their stories to our children and our children's children and to make sure that they are, some, they are a part, yes, of, uh, of the church. Indeed, these are the people, brothers and sisters, we are worshiping with this evening. They're part of our community. The book of Revelation in chapter 5 makes it clear that when we come together to worship, yes, our, our worship on earth is joined with the worship in heaven. And it's those tw- 21, 20 Egyptians and one Ghanaian, or it's our friend, yes, Ahmed Abdulwali of Somalia, or a Maximilian Kolbe, or millions of uh, Soviet citizens, or million or thousands of missionaries, whoever it may be, we are joined them this evening as we stand around the throne and worship the living God. Yes, they're not something far and distant. They're something. They're our community that is actually part of our community. So let's pray, Father in heaven, again. We pray that uh, the sacrifice of your saints, the sacrifice of those who have been martyred, Lord, will shake our complacency, heal us of our cynicism, Lord, and cause us to count the cost of following you. We pray, Lord, that uh, none of us will become too comfortable as we're distant from the suffering of so many around us, those who call upon, who along with us call upon the name of Jesus. We pray that uh, you will unite us and connect us with those who are undergoing trial and tribulation at this moment. And we do ask these things again in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. 
You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.